Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The United States is a country founded on the hard work and sacrifices of immigrants who sought a better life here in the United States. Most of that work was done throughout mines located in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and other states in a region known as Appalachia or the Blue Ridge Mountains. Conditions in these coal mines were less than optimal, with little light or fresh air available to those immigrants working the long hours to make less than optimal wages to support their families. More concerning enough, there were no safety policies in place during the early 1900s, which is the time period we are going to be discussing this week. This week, we are discussing the Monaga coal mine disaster which is known as the deadliest mine disaster here in the United States. We're going to discuss the history of mining here in the United States, the mine and company associated with the disaster itself, and ultimately, we'll see if any policy development came out of this disaster. Before that, we do have a quick note on the show's Patreon, and following that, we'll jump right into the content for the week. Do you want to help the show continue to grow? Well, have you considered joining the Destination Disaster Patreon page? If you choose to join, no matter which level, you'll gain access to an exclusive group where you can chat with other members, gain access to merchandise discounts, and a monthly AMA where we can all gather and discuss different topics. The Community Responder tier, or the Entry Level tier, is $5 per month. Here, you'll gain access to the private Patreon community, monthly AMAs, a Patreon shoutout, and an exclusive sticker once you complete your first month's billing cycle. The next tier is the Section Chief, or $10 tier. Here, you'll gain access to all previous tier benefits, and will also gain a 20% discount on merch, four free Destination Disaster stickers, and an exclusive coffee mug once you complete your first month's billing cycle. And finally, we have the Emergency Management Director, or $20 tier. Here, you'll gain all benefits from the previous two tiers. You'll also receive an exclusive Destination Disaster merchandise bundle, hand-selected by myself, and a long-sleeve shirt that is not available on the show's store page. Please know that there is no obligation and you can choose to end your support after a month if you choose to do so. Any amount of support is greatly appreciated. Please know that there is also a 7 day free trial where you can just gain access to the community to see if this is something that you want to support. Please consider joining today.
mining has a very diverse history here in the United States. The earliest coal mines can be traced back to the 1700s in Manakin, Virginia, which is just outside of Richmond. While mining has decreased significantly, it still remains a significant source of energy to this very day. Coal became the largest source of energy in the 1880s when it overtook wood and remained the largest source until the early 1950s when coal was exceeded by petroleum. Coal provided more than half of the nation's energy from the 1880s to the 1940s, and from 1906 to 1920 provided more than three-quarters of U.S. energy. As the United States entered the 19th century, coal mining would become the most popular in Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Kentucky, and Wyoming. The primary coal that was mined during this period was bituminous coal, or black coal. By the early 1800s, mined coal totaled over 170,000 short tons, with these quantities tripling every decade. In cities where wood fuel remained the dominant source of energy for heating homes, the Wirt brothers sought to change that. Anthracite coal burns clean and clear, preventing smog that was commonplace in the large cities. Anthracite, or hard coal exploitation, began before the War of 1812, spurred by the interest and optimism of the Wirt brothers of Philadelphia. Burning clean and smokeless, anthracite became the preferred fuel in cities, replacing wood by about 1850, the same pattern seen in Europe. The east became deforested, driving up the price of fuel wood. Anthracite from the northeastern Pennsylvania coal region and later from West Virginia was valued for household use because it burns cleanly with little ash. It was also used in the early foundries of Philadelphia, New York, Newark, and Allentown. The rich Pennsylvania anthracite fields were close to the big eastern cities and nearly every major railroad in the eastern United States, such as the Reading Railroad, Lehigh and Erie, Central Railroad of New Jersey, Pennsylvania Railroad, and Delaware and Hudson Railroad, extended lines into the anthracite fields. Many railroads began as mining short-line railroads. By 1840, annual hard coal output had passed the million short-ton mark and then quadrupled by 1850, and as it grew, it pushed railroad construction, mining, and steel production in a synergistic symbiosis. This period would see the United States grow into the global coal powerhouse, supplying much of the world's demand for this precious fuel. Congress would enact several laws to protect the domestic coal trade, encourage growth, and prevent foreign competition on American soil. This in turn prompted entrepreneurs to expand mining operations, most of whom had no experience in the field itself. Congress implemented policies to encourage its growth, including protecting American colliers from foreign competition through tariffs. State governments also supported the development of coal mining, commissioning geological surveys to identify viable coal seams, and marking viable mineral deposits for entrepreneurs. These interventions led to the rapid development of coal mining in the antebellum period. Domestic production eventually dominated American coal markets, and the country became a net exporter of coal in the 1870s. Railroad corporations would eventually come to dominate the mining industry as demand for coal needed to power trains expanded exponentially. Due to the immense power and capital that these companies held, the purchase of vast swaths of land would allow them to set prices and limit production specifically for the needs of the railroad. In the late 19th century, railroad companies became increasingly powerful and played a significant role in the energy policy, particularly in the anthracite coal industry. The railroads purchased coal lands and set prices to maintain their power, while attempts by state and federal authorities to regulate the industry were largely ineffective. The focus of policymakers was on maintaining high production levels and bringing new coal fields into production, as evidenced by the creation of the United States Geological Survey in 1879 to catalog valuable mineral resources. Now one thing you haven't heard me mention up until now is how were the workers treated during this golden era of mining? Were they treated fairly? 
paid adequately, and provided some form of health care? No, not at all. Corporate greed and demand would play a central role in this profession, becoming one of the deadliest jobs you could hold during this period. The vast majority of these mines were poorly constructed, lacked vital safety equipment, and didn't include adequate ventilation to provide fresh air to those working deep in the mountains. Prior to the Civil War, many of the miners were considered skilled laborers, working as independent contractors and making very good money for the time. The data that I found is from a publication detailing miners' earnings between 1922, 1924, and 1926. Miners earned a spectacular living when compared to other professions of the time. Hand miners earned on average $10.10 per start or workday, with an average of 9 hours worked in the mine. This hourly wage, calculated with the average inflation rate of 2.89%, now equates to $174.31 per hour. Please feel free to fact check my math here and let me know if I completely embarrassed myself. There's a reason why I majored in emergency management and I'm not a rocket scientist. As the railroads eventually became the majority owners, wages would decline and the smaller mining companies would attempt to unionize, working to resecure earlier wages. Prior to the Civil War, coal mining was done on a small scale and skilled miners acted as independent contractors. However, the corporate reorganization of coal fields led to pressure on firms to increase production and cut costs. This resulted in mine operators seeking to use the autonomy of miners for their own benefit, such as pressing tonnage rates down, docking miners for sending up coal with too many impurities, and paying miners in scrip rather than cash. Mine operators would successfully establish smaller unions among coal fields, but the majority would be struck down by corporate union busters. Eventually, by 1890, the United Mine Workers of America, or the UMWA, would officially be established. However, they would struggle to gain collective bargaining rights among the coal fields of the United States. Life as a miner was exceptionally tough. Your only source of light was your headlamp and those of your fellow miners. Those companies that fought unionization often fired the skilled miners and brought in scab workers with little to no experience operating the heavy machinery. Coal mines were dangerous for all workers. Collapsing mines, suffocation, gas poisoning, explosions, and heavy machinery accidents were daily dangers. Before electricity, men often worked in standing water, swinging their sharp pickaxes and shoveling coal in the flickering light of their gas headlamps. After electricity, they had to avoid touching the live wires. For those who survived those hazards, long-term exposure to poor air caused chronic lung diseases such as black lung. Black lung disease develops after the initial, milder form of the disease known as anthracosis. This is often asymptomatic and is found to at least some extent in all urban dwellers due to air pollution. Prolonged exposure to large amounts of coal dust can result in more serious forms of the disease. Simple co-workers pneumoconosis and complicated co-workers pneumoconosis or progressive massive fibrosis. More commonly, workers exposed to coal dust develop industrial bronchitis, clinically defined as chronic bronchitis, associated with workplace dust exposure. This incidence of industrial bronchitis varies with age, job, exposure, and smoking. And non-smokers, studies of coal miners have shown a 16-17% to 17 incidence of industrial bronchitis. In 2013, black lung disease resulted in 25,000 deaths globally, down from 29,000 deaths in 1990. In the United States, a 2018 study by the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health shows a resurgence among veteran coal miners, recording the highest rate of black lung disease in roughly two decades. The Monongah coal mine disaster represents the worst mining disaster in American history. On Friday, December 6, 1907, an explosion rocked the Fairmont Coal Company's number 6 
and number 8 mines, killing 362 of the 420 miners, or 86% of miners reportedly working in those mine shafts on that day. The mine itself was described as an extensive maze of underground tunnels that in the dark would almost certainly be impossible to navigate. To this day, it is still unknown as to what caused the explosion. There are many theories that include a spark igniting methane gas, which would subsequently ignite the highly flammable coal dust. This explosion would ripple through the mine shafts, carrying with it structural beams, eventually causing the entrance to tunnel number 8 to become destroyed. Inside the mine, the timbers supporting the roof were blown down, which caused further problems as the roof collapsed. An official cause of the explosion was not determined, but investigators and representatives from both the Fairmont Coal Company and the Federal Geological Survey put forth theories that an electrical spark or one of the miner's open flame lamps ignited coal dust or methane gas. As I just stated, this explosion immediately killed the majority of miners as ventilation shafts were destroyed, lights were knocked out, and structural beams led to sections of tunnel collapsing, potentially trapping survivors. It would take nearly 30 minutes for initial rescue efforts to begin, and in the early 1900s, rescuers did not have access to rebreathers such as what firefighters have access to today. Many of those who ran into the shafts faced suffocating toxic gases such as black damp, which is a combination of carbon dioxide and nitrogen, and white damp, which is carbon monoxide. These gases alone hampered rescue efforts, only allowing rescuers to venture into the mine for around 15 minutes. The toxic fume problems were compounded by the infrastructural damage caused by the initial explosion. Mines required large ventilation fans to prevent toxic gas buildup, and the explosion at Monaga had destroyed all of the ventilation equipment in mine number 8 and disabled the fan in mine number 6. Rescuers were eventually able to reconnect the number 6 fan, but the inability to clear the mine of gases further delayed and complicated rescue and recovery efforts. This explosion tore families apart. This disaster would leave 216 women widowed and 475 children left alone. This disaster would prompt public outrage and force a conversation that quite honestly needed to happen 100 years prior to the expansion of mining here in the United States. In 1910, Congress created the United States Bureau of Mines with the goal of investigating and inspecting mines to reduce explosions and to limit the waste of human and natural resources. However, as we've learned in any of these other episodes that I have recorded, these safety regulations would cost money that the railroad corporations did not want to spend. Why would they build more secure mines when they could build a new tunnel in the same mountain after the previous one collapsed killing everyone inside? To the railroads, the miner was but a cog in the machine that could be expended. The Monaga disaster unleashed a wave of concern about mining safety. During this time, mining disasters in the United States were becoming increasingly common. Government regulations in Europe had diminished mining accidents there, and many Americans began lobbying for stronger federal safety rules for mining companies. However, even though the Bureau of Mines was established in 1910 and strict safety regulations were enacted, none of these would be enforced until the mid-20th century. Relief was provided to the affected families in the form of several relief groups set up in the aftermath of the disaster. In addition, two subcommittees were formed, the executive committee that was formed to gain national attention about the explosion and the subcommittee that was established to receive and distribute aid to the affected families. In the end, you would think that the Fairmont Coal Company would condemn these mines never to be entered again. Well, you've thought wrong. The very same mine would be reopened with the two shafts connected to another one for ventilation. This connection would put further workers at risk of a future disaster. This had the effect of placing those in both mines at risk in the event of an accident. 
Even after this infrastructural flaw came to light, the Fairmont Coal Company did not disconnect the two mines. Other problems included the use of mechanical and electrical equipment and a failure to adequately water hallways in order to settle dust or to install more adequate dust removal systems. It would take nearly 100 years to establish memorials for those miners lost in this disaster. The vast majority of miners killed during this explosion were of Italian descent, seeking the quote-unquote American dream. In 2003, to commemorate the explosion, the Italian commune of San Giovanni in Fiore, from which many of the miners had immigrated, erected a memorial to those killed in the disaster. 2007, the Monaca heroine, a statue dedicated to the miners' widows, was unveiled. The monument was erected due to the efforts of Father Joseph Briggs, a local Catholic priest and historian of the Monaga disaster. In 2007, to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the explosion, the Italian region of Molise presented a bell to the town of Monaga. Today, this bell sits in the Monaga town square. In 2009, the President of the Italian Republic, Giorgio Napolitano, conferred the Order of Merit for Labor upon the victims of this disaster. I want to thank you all for listening this week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave a like, a follow, and share it with those around you. This week's Patreon shout-out goes to Thomas. Thank you for your continued support. If you wish to join, the link is in the show notes below. Please know that the show will always remain free to listen to, and joining the Patreon is to help us continue to grow. Until next week, this has been Destination Disaster. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.